Well, Forge family, the last time we were together, we were in chapter 11 of Daniel, and chapters 10, 11, and 12 are a unit. They're, you know, they've put in chapter breaks and verses, but they are a unit. It is a singular set of prophecies that include, you know, uh, many different prophecies, the appearance of the pre-incarnate Christ as a theophany, and there's a bunch of angels. So when we looked into chapter 11, we were plunged into a whole pile of ancient history that ran from the time of Cyrus to the time of Epiphany, uh, Antiochus Epiphanes, from the time of the, of the Jews being released from exile to go back to Judah to the time when Antiochus really caused great suffering and death and slavery to fall upon the, the people of Palestine. Now, you, you've heard this before, but um, there, were, there were four kings that were mentioned uh, that would rise, and, but there are obviously more than four kings in Persia. And when that season was done, Alexander came in a rage because the last two, Darius IV, I think it was, and, and Xerxes, had done major damage to the Greek economy, the Greek people. There was slaughter, there was blood, there was, it was awful. And so Alexander came in retribution. And he rushed upon the Persian forces and destroyed them in three and a half, you know, took the whole empire in three and a half years. And then he died. Okay? And so there was 28 plus years where his generals were sort of warring with each other to decide who was going to reign over portions of what Alexander had left. And in chapter 11, we looked at two of those portions. One was um, governed by the Seleucid dynasty, which included Syria to the north and Babylon to the east, and the Ptolemy dynasty, which was to the south, but it included Palestine, Egypt, and Arabia. The 170 years following the time of Alexander was just filled with all kinds of problems between the king of the north, which would be the Seleucids, and the king of the south, which were the Ptolemies, and they fought each other, and they lied to each other, and they murdered each other, and um, and ultimately uh, the Roman Empire, which was rising, had to rise up and get involved to to stop some of that craziness, and to to you know they came to actually went to war with Antiochus the Great. <clears throat> this this thirty six verse run into chapter eleven ends with Antiochus Epiphanes, who who savaged the Jews. And, uh, but ultimately, his forces in Palestine were overrun and defeated by the Maccabees while he was out in Babylon doing battle against the Parthians. At that point, the Lord struck him and he died, which is what the, what the prophetic word about him was. Okay, there are 135 prophecies in this section, and it shows that the Lord is reigning over rulers and nations. Now, in the last nine verses of chapter 11, there was a swing from past prophecy to future prophecy, from the stuff that has been fulfilled to the stuff that has yet to be fulfilled. If you recall, Daniel saw the beasts rise out of the earth, and the fourth beast was one that had ten horns on its head, but out of the center rose a little horn, which would become mightier than all of them. That was the Antichrist that was rising up. And in this passage... Uh, the rise of the little horn here is more delineated, you know, because he is going to be blaspheming the God of gods, rejecting the gods of his fathers, and choosing to honor a formerly unknown God. 
he and his forces, as he reigns, will be simultaneously attacked by the king of the north, which was, is probably that same territory of Syria, Turkey, Babylon, sort of thing, the king of the north and the king of the south, which would be Egypt, North Africa, you know, some even Central Africa and, and Arabia. Okay. He defeats both of those coalition armies at the same time and just wipes them from the, the, the he destroys their countries, says he washes over them. Okay. And, and then he turns and he plunders Egypt and North Africa along with Sudan and Ethiopia will fall in line behind the Antichrist. Ultimately, he will war against forces from the north and from the east in the Valley of Jezreel, which is to be, it's called the Battle of Armageddon. You know, the scripture says he will be cut off as has been formally prophesied. He's, he will, his days will end. Okay, so let's pray. God who reigns and rules, who has laid out history and passed it on to us in the form of prophecy, we fall before you as Daniel did. We have no hope but in you. From the heart, we say thank you. And from the heart, we would be obedient in your, to your spirit and to your word. Settle our hearts, Lord, for we trust that you will be with, you'll be with us and we will be with you in the end of days. Settle our hearts, Lord, for in these days of turmoil and great untruth that swirls around us, come Holy Spirit to walk with us today and tomorrow and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. So chapters, chapter 12 here is the conclusion of this three-chapter three set of prophecies. But it's the same angel that is speaking to Daniel. He's unnamed. You know, there are those who believe it's Gabriel. They have good cause for that because Gabriel was the one who spoke previous. But in this case, he's an, he's an interpreting messenger angel. Okay? And he says in verse 1, Now at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, over, over Daniel's people, will arise. And there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, will be rescued. So the reference to in that day is connected to the latter verses in chapter 11. When the Antichrist is, he sets out to crush uh, Israel. He crushed crush the Jews for, for 42 months, for three and a half years. Never before have the Jews, well, you know, they'll have to suffer so much. We think, think back and you go, well, we had the Holocaust. That was, that was hideous. It was horrible. But it says in, in the book, if you will, there's more coming. Then at that, in those days, Michael and his angels will arise and stand guard. So in spite of all of this, Michael is going to be overseeing the nation of Israel. And the messenger angel refers to that, uh, that in Daniel's people whose names are included in the book. They're the ones who are going to be rescued. Now that, that casts back to the original reference about the book to the time of um, Israel. Um, they'd watched Moses climb the mountain of Syria, go into the clouds, the, excuse me, mountain, uh, Mount Sinai. Um, he climbed up into the clouds and the lightning and, the, and he didn't come back. And they went, whoa, he got vaporized. Or... 
you know, he doesn't love us like he said he did, whatever it was. He didn't come back when they expected him to. So they formed a, a committee and they made themselves a golden calf to worship at the foot of Mount Sinai. And Moses came back and was just appalled that that fast Israel had started worshiping a false god. And so he pleads with God to forgive the sins of the people. And he puts his own, own future on the line where he's willing to have his own name blotted out of, quote, the book which you have written, unquote. You'll find it in, in Exodus 32. And he did that to try and gain the forgiveness of the people of Israel from God. Now, the book is a common theme throughout Old Testament and New Testament. Uh, it's in Psalm 69, Malachi 3, and Luke 10, Revelations 3 and 20. In ancient times, records were made in communities where uh, people and families were listed as members of the community and they had rights to a certain amount of, you know, there was, there's, if food was going to be shared, protection was shared, yada, okay? But if you broke the rules of that community, you could get yourself wiped away. You could have your name expunged from the record of that community. That's essentially the same kind of thinking that's here. You're in the book or you're blotted out of the book. All Jews and Gentiles who have trusted in Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord have their names written in the, quote, book of life, unquote. The Apostle John relates the grim fate of those whose names are not found in the book and are cast into the lake of fire in Revelation 20. It's here that there are scholarly disputes over whose name is, is who, whose names are going to be included in this book in the end times, in the end days, out of the nation of Israel. Are all converts to Jesus during the tribulation going to have their name in that book, Jew and Gentile, or is it just the 144,000 out of Revelation 7? Nobody knows, okay? Nobody knows yet. But there is a rescue coming. It's promised that God's people will be rescued if their names are in the book. Now, please, here I'm trying to exposit the book of Daniel. And there are many cross-references to Daniel in prophecies from other prophets, but especially in the book of Revelation. And I've come to the conclusion that trying to integrate all those other prophecies and make sense of it will produce confusion rather than clarity with the, what we know now. I'm going to save those other teachings on Revelation to a later time because the Father is the only one who knows how to interpret all of the book of Revelations. That, we may get to that. We'll see. Verse 2 continues. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, and the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. So here is an awesome download. There's a resurrection coming. It's the Old Testament teaching. There's a resurrection coming. That's a blessed thing. Okay? It matches the prophecies of Job and Isaiah and Ezekiel. Those who've fallen asleep in death and have been buried in and have become the dust of the earth, who are righteous, lovers of God, worshipers of God in his ways, they will awaken and they will arise to everlasting life. No longer will they be without a body. But the angel also spoke of those who will awaken and arise from the dust to everlasting disgrace and abhorrence. So Daniel is hearing the doctrine of eternal life and eternal judgment. 
the Jews taught of a place for the dead spirits of both the righteous and the wicked. It's called Sheol. Okay? But even in Sheol, there's a massive gap. There's a chasm that cannot be crossed between the righteous and the wicked. The only limit, limitation that I see here in this passage is actually in that first line. It says, and many of those. Well, many does not imply all. Okay? So we wait to see what's going to happen. God delights. God does not delight in judging anyone. But instead, he gives mankind a choice. Each man and each woman decides their own destiny by receiving Christ or rejecting him. Now, there's one more thing here. It's possible to view the resurrections here of the righteous and the wicked as simultaneous. Now, in 1 Thessalonians that we studied through, there was a resurrection. There is a, a rapture of the church where the dead and the living, the dead will rise first and then the living. So that's, that's, ha that's half of the equation. Okay? Those who have been waiting for you know, the Lord to call them out from the dust and from the seas and wherever their bodies rested, that will take place. But we know that there's not a resurrection at that time of the wicked. And the problem is the telescoping effect of prophecy. You look down the line and, and you see, oh, there's a resurrection coming for the, for the righteous and for the wicked. But there may be a vast time between those two. Okay, And it's probably Revelation 20 when there's a resurrection and the books are opened. And then you discover if your name is in the book of life. Verse 3 has a timing issue here. And those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heavens and those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. So the context here refers to the resurrected saints, okay, who, when they're connected to eternal life, okay, they display their insight and their spiritual wisdom. They will shine like the brightness of the heavens. The question is, was that what they did in the land of the living? Or is it that which they will do in the new heavens and the earth? Or is it both? The angel goes on about those who lead the many to righteousness. Who will shine like stars forever and ever. That same question applies. Did these resurrected ones lead many to righteousness in the land of the living? Or will they begin to do that during the millennial reign of Christ, or both. Now, were they resurrected among the many, reflected in verse 2, as reward for the past faithfulness, and have arisen to future assignments in eternity? Yeah, I think there's a note of motivation here. Um, you live righteous and wise, you instruct and disciple others, and then you arise to express that again in eternity. Then Daniel is instructed to conceal these words. Okay? Quote, But as for you, Daniel, conceal these words and seal up the book until the time of the end. Many will go back and forth and the knowledge will increase. So Daniel is told directly not to spread abroad the words or the interpretation of the prophecies that he's getting, but rather to seal them up. Now in ancient courts and and uh, business dealings in the, in, the, in the gates or wherever it was. Spoken words were dictated and inscribed into soft clay. You know, the cuneiform writing where they took a, a piece of wood that was sharpened and they made marks and wrote a language in soft clay. And when all had been written down of the, 
the treaty or the agreement or, you know, whatever it was, um, then the, those present who were the writers, the scribes, they would take their uh, cylinder seal and they would roll that cylinder seal in the soft clay and leave their mark on the bottom of it. They would operate much like notaries do today. You swear it's true, you've read the whole thing, the notary will put a stamp. In that case, they rolled the cylinder. Now, we've seen pictures of the Cyrus cylinder that rests in, I think a copy is in Chicago, but the original, the original is in London, and it's substantial size. Well, we're not talking about that size. We're talking about a small personal seal where you can go whoop and run it over the soft clay and move on to the next contract or whatever you were trying to do. <clears throat> Here, Daniel is told to put his seal on the prophecies by writing them out and attesting to the truth of God's word delivered by the angel. He may literally have applied his own personal cylinder seal to the bottom of his, of how, what he wrote out. Now, if you look down, you know, you, you'll see in, in verse 9 some similar wording. It says, go your way, Daniel, for these words are, con are, are concealed and sealed until the end time. Okay? Now, a sealed text was to be permanently um, kept. It wasn't supposed to be tampered with or amended. So Daniel uh, keeps this, and he's supposed to have written out the whole business of his coming out of Jerusalem into exile, going to the school of Babylon, serving in the court of the king as an advisor, becoming head over the magicians, and ultimately he becomes a commissioner under the, the Persians. So, um, John, you know, you, you understand he's, he, when he, you're supposed to write it down, but don't, don't tell everybody everything about what God de dealt with you. Now, that's in contrast to what the Apostle John heard. The Apostle John heard the opposite. Do not seal up this prophecy of the revelation. Okay? Now, as to the back and forth comment, back and people will go back and forth. Many will go back and forth. Obviously, they're going to look at the book of Daniel, and they're going to listen to who's speaking on that subject. Now, Jesus said, many are going to arise and claim to be Messiah. Many will arise who will know, you know, the Lord's coming on such and such a day. And Lord knows we've had those people in our history. There are those who have proclaimed, you know, the Lord's coming back in 1846. I think there was one who did that. You know, here Harold Camping was in the Bay Area through family radio two or three different times. And each time he'd sort of apologize and go, oh, but I just discovered a problem with my math. And he would, you know, but he never quite got it. And he went, to, he went to glory. He's my brother. Okay? But he didn't get those numbers down. Okay? So there will be that back and forth thing. And likewise, through archaeology, uh, study of ancient languages, biblical studies, and the discovery of other writings that are included in the canon of Scripture, knowledge of the end times, what's coming, will increase. It already has. It's in, in, the more we discover, the more we, we study, the more we understand Verses 5 to 7 has Daniel looking again at the figures on the bank of the Tigris River. Now remember that started out, he's standing on the bank of the Tigris River, and, the, and, the, and there's this figure standing in the air over the river, and there's angels, etc. So it's happened again. We've got, a, we've got a, a, the figure of the pre-incarnate Christ, dressed in linen, standing above the waters of the river. And the angel says, then I, excuse me, it says, then I, Daniel... Looked and beheld, two others were standing, 
one on this bank of the river and the other on that bank of the river. And one said to the man dressed in linen who was above the waters of the river, how long will it be until the end of these wonders? And I heard the man dressed in linen who was above the waters of the river and he raised his right hand and his left hand toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. And as soon as they finish shattering the power of the holy people, all these events will be completed. If you look at 1 Peter chapter 1, excuse me, it seems to indicate that the angels do not have full knowledge of fulfilled prophecies. They don't get the, they don't, they hear the prophecy, they don't know the outcome. They're not omniscient, but they long to know the answers. And so that matches up with what's going on here because there's an angelic figure standing on the bank of the Tigris River and he addresses the pre-incarnate Christ, the figure standing above the waters, dressed in white linen. The angelic figure wants to know when these astonishing things are going to come to pass, when they're going to be finished. With both hands raised to heaven in a solemn oath and two angels standing as witnesses, the pre-incarnate Christ utters a th- the three-and-a-half-year prophecy, okay? A time, times, and half a time, okay? One year, two years, and half a year. Total, three-and-a-half years to bring to conclusion the astonishing things of the prophecy that Daniel has been receiving from chapters 10, 11, and 12. The raising of both hands and swearing an oath in the name of the eternal God is a final seal and assurance that the spoken words are true. So three and a half years will pass before the end of the shattering of Israel's defenses and the end of the Antichrist. Do we know when that starts? No. But it's coming. Verses 8 to 10 has Daniel's confession that he does not understand what he's just heard. He says, as for me, I heard but could not understand. For I said, my Lord, speaking to the angel standing next to him, what will be the outcome of these events? And the angel said, go your way, Daniel, for these words are concealed and sealed up until the end times. Many will be purged, purified, refined, but the wicked will act wickedly and none of the wicked will understand. But those who have insight will understand. So out of the mouth of Gabriel, or the messenger angel angel standing next to Daniel, comes the start of the end of the prophecy. He instructs Daniel to go his way. Now let's put it in the 20th century vernacular. I think he's saying to Daniel, let it go. You know, don't fret over this. Don't fret over the fact that you don't understand. It's sealed up. It's not for you. The righteous will understand the prophecies, but the wicked will not. The last days will cause great suffering, purges, purification, and refinement for the righteous. None of that will have any effect on the wicked. They will remain uninformed, and lost. Verses 11 and 12 throw us back to numbers and calculators and calendars and the speculations. Okay. It says, and from the time that the regular sacrifice is abolished, this is the, the angel speaking again, from the time that the regular sacrifice is abolished, okay, that assumes that there will be a temple reestablished in Jerusalem on the Temple Mount, and there will be the regular sacrifice rhythm every day. Right now, that's an impossibility because that piece of land is controlled 
by Muslim authorities. And the Mosque of Omar sits right on top of where that temple is going to go. So something has to happen in the Holy Land for that to come to pass. Okay? And from the time that the regular sacrifice in that temple is abolished and the abomination of desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. How blessed is he who keeps waiting and attains to the 1,335th day. Okay? Now, I took up my calculator and I divided 1,290 by 365 day years. That didn't work. Then I tried 360 day years. And that didn't work. Okay? I never came out with a clean three and a half year number. Okay? To match the... the, the, the uh, the three-and-a-half-year prophecy of the last half of the, the time of tribulation. So, in addition, there's this 1,290 plus 45 days to end up at 1,335. There are scholars who have calculators and lots of biblical speculation of what's happening. Oh, this is how God sets up his government. This is the time when God sets up his government after the death of the Antichrist. Oh, this, you know, it's like they're, you just kind of go, where did you get that? You know, I, there are, there are, you know, there are scholars who go through this passage and they make amazing statements and you're going, that's an amazing statement. I want that to be true. Where did you get that? And the answer is, it's a speculation. So I've tried to clean this up down to what we do know and what we don't know. Okay? It just doesn't add up yet. So here we are with a sealed up prophecy waiting for the days of the Lord's return and with that, the understanding of the last days. Now, the book of Daniel closes with the words of the angel to Daniel. But as for you, go your way to the end, and when you enter into rest and rise again for your allotted portion at the end of the age. Daniel is to go on in his life until he sleeps in death, waiting to be resurrected to his inheritance at the end of the age. The closing words of Kyle, uh, of, of Charles Friedrich Kyle, he was a He's one of the, the 1800s, mid-1800s scholars. He was German. He was Lutheran. He has a great line. He says, in, in his, the end of his commentary on Daniel, he says, quote, Well shall it be for us if at the end of our days we too are able to depart hence with such consolation of hope. So, Ford family, Daniel wrote down his 12 chapters to encourage the Jews who were in exile in Babylon, as well as those who didn't go back to Judah and stayed in Persia. Their past had been filled with great suffering and brought on by the unfaithfulness of their forefathers to obey the Lord. In Daniel's writings, he revealed God's sovereignty over the land, the rulers, the people, the nations, and the universe. Okay, he wrote of the prophecies that God was giving regarding his mighty plan for his people Israel, even through the millennia of Gentile domination. Daniel's writing was a reminder that Israel was passing through, quote, the valley of the shadow of death, quote, they're not remaining there. Okay, their suffering and persecution would one day end. And Daniel keeps pouring out the covenant promises of Yahweh that he is in charge of the ultimate preservation and restoration of his people Israel. As for us, the sons and daughters of the king of glory, these Daniel passages help our footing on the rock. They help us stabilize our hope and trust in him who will bring all this to pass. 
So let's pray. God of prophecy, yet to be fulfilled. We wait with hope and trepidation. We do not have full understanding yet. That awaits us at the end of days where we will stand before you either resurrected to life or living. Thank you that we do not live with calculators in our pockets trying to sort out prophetic history yet to come. That's your responsibility, Lord. And we bow before you, O God, of people, groups, nations, empires, the earth, and the universe. Holy Spirit, assist us to be those who shine with godly wisdom and who lead many to the Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.